0: Morning Cornerstone Church. My name is uh, Jeremy Lind and I'm the pastor here at Cornerstone and if you are new here we have connection cards in the bulletin. If you wanted to fill those out with your name and an email and put those in the baskets as they pass, um, that would be a great way to begin to receive updates about what God is doing here and ways that you can connect with God and others at Cornerstone. Um, we've got a great men's retreat coming up, we have a great women's retreat coming up as well. And... Um, I'd love to see you guys be a part of that. I'm trying to get this situated. There we go. We're reading through the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Nehemiah. We'll be reading from Nehemiah chapter 4. If you're new here as well, a great way to connect is to friend Cornerstone Church of Blaine on Facebook or make us one of your Grammys on Instagram. I think I coined that. Did I coin Is that what people call them, Grammys? If they're not, I want want copyright on that. I started that. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, we've got a great Instagram page, great Facebook page. And we've got a great women's Facebook page as well. If you're uh, one of the ladies here and you're not friended on our Cornerstone Church of Blaine women's page, make sure to fill out that card, put it in the basket, and we'll send you an invite as well. And we've been going through this sermon series on Nehemiah. We've been reading about finding your vision. Like, what is God's vision for your life? What does he want you to look like in five years? What does he want your family to look like in five years? What does he want your worship to look like? In five years, what is God's vision for your life? What does He want your career to look like in five years? And we've been reading through this book, looking at how God gives Nehemiah this vision. And if you ever miss a sermon series, you can go online to ccblame.org, and uh, you can listen to sermons in the past. We had somebody who had attended uh, a little bit more infrequently in the past, who started coming every week, and they said that uh, when they were coming every week, it felt like they were binge watching Netflix. Because each sermon builds on the last. And it makes a lot more sense when you catch them all. So uh, if you're not attending regularly, I'd encourage you to attend regularly. But then also make sure you go and listen to those sermons on ccblaine.org that you missed. Uh, Also, you can go on your favorite podcast player and just type in Cornerstone Church of Blaine. And and we're on the podcast thing as well. And that way you can catch up on the sermons. we have been looking at how God gave... Nehemiah a vision, and Nehemiah sees his people, they're in the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah is a Jew, and he looks at Jerusalem, the city's in shambles, and one of the reasons why is the city has no defense, their city wall is in ruins, it's in rubble, the city's burning, and there's no protection from the nations surrounding them, and so nations can come in and come out at any time they want across the border and plunder the nation of Israel, taking what they have worked hard to achieve, and so the nation has no organization, no stability, and they can't focus on following God, and so Nehemiah sees this, and he sees it's a problem, and his heart breaks for that. And he says, I need to rebuild this wall so my people can can get the basics of life down so they can start focusing on following God. And so the first week in the sermon series, we talked about how God gives us a vision, and it usually starts with something that breaks our heart or makes us angry. It's something that we're passionate about. It's something that we see that is wrong, that we want made right. And that's usually the beginning of God giving us a vision. And we talk in the first Week about how just noticing something wrong doesn't make us a visionary, it just makes us a critic. Critics see things wrong and they just continue to tear down what's already wrong. Nehemiah could have sat around and just criticized the leadership in Jerusalem. What are they doing all day? They clearly don't know what, what they're doing. They're clearly leading the people poorly. What's wrong with the people there? Why aren't they? He could have just criticized them all day long. Instead, Nehemiah sees what could be and starts thinking about how he and how God can use him to take the situation from where it is where it should be. As we're looking for a vision, it's easy to be a critic. I'm sure there's many things in our life that are wrong right now that we see that we want fixed. God does not want us to sit there as a critic and a complainer. Instead, he wants to start thinking about a vision of how things could be different. The next week, Dave Thomas preached and gave an incredible message on the second part of this sermon series about praying and planning And after we find a passion, something that breaks our heart, something that makes us angry, something that we want to be fixed, then we start praying and planning for how God could use us to accomplish that vision. And Dave came up with an incredible point from the the text. He said, when we see something that's wrong, that we want fixed, dreamers pray for a miracle. But visionaries pray for an opportunity. So as we see something wrong, we start praying and planning that God would use us to do the work to accomplish that vision. and Today we're going to keep reading in Nehemiah as he talks about this vision of his. He's gotten a vision. He's passionate about it. He's prayed and he's planned about how God could give him an opportunity to fix it. And then he reveals his vision. It's the first time he tells the people of his vision. It's chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah says to them, "'You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem.'" That we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God, that I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So Nehemiah, he was actually working as the king's food tester. He tested the food before the king ate it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And he used that as he's praying and planning, he's used that uh, position he was in. To ask the king for resources to go and accomplish God's vision. And that's what he is referring to there, the words that the king had spoken. And this is incredible. The king has allowed him to go do this. The king of a foreign nation is now allowing him to go rebuild his own nation. It's going to be competition for them. But somehow God is moving in this. And Nehemiah knows it. And so he tells the people about it. God is moving. And so they say, let's rise up and build When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? This isn't in his interest for you to build your nation up. And it's never that easy, is it? Like we see something wrong, we have a vision, to go do it. We cast the vision, people are on board, everything's going great, but it's never that easy. There's always something that goes wrong. And right away, as Nehemiah casts that vision, he has an enemy come against him. He's got opposition come against him in his life. And there's one thing that's guaranteed. As you start following God, as you start following God's vision, it's guaranteed that someone will come against you to try to stop you. The first thing that we should do when we get our vision is we should pray and plan. The next thing that we should do is prepare for people to oppose us. Because it happens all the time. There's nothing... uh, there's nothing more guaranteed than Satan sending opposition to us when we start following God. Life is a spiritual battle. When you follow God, opposition will be present. There will always be a Goliath that stands in your way. One of my favorite things about the story of David and Goliath, right? There's an entire army of Israel waiting to do this battle. Uh, an enemy steps forward from the opposing army, a giant who's stronger and bigger than anybody they ever seen. And he says... Let's settle this one on one. You take anybody on your camp, fight me, and if I win, then we win this war and we settle it right here. If you win, if your person beats me, then you win. And the nation of Israel, all these soldiers, they're shocked. They're surprised. Look at how big that is. We didn't expect this. What are we going to do? And they're all fearful and surprised. And David's not surprised. David's not surprised. He knows that when you follow God, there's going to be opposition that steps forward, but what David's actually not surprised yet is that any of the men of faith hasn't stepped forward to finish this thing yet. Just get it over. We're following God. Of course there's going to be opposition, but we're serving God. He's going to make sure that we come out all right. He's going to take care of it. David's not surprised that there's opposition. What he's not surprised at is someone hasn't come and stepped forward and taken care of it yet. And as we go through life, there are going to be Goliaths that are going to step forward. There's always going to be an opposition present. And so today we're going to talk about how to overcome opposition in our life as we look to follow God's vision for our life. And we're going to look at primarily Nehemiah chapter 4, if you want to flip the page with me. And then before we talk more about what Nehemiah does that we can learn from, we just have to talk about Jesus' vision for our relationship with our enemies, now I don't know about you, but whenever somebody comes against me, my natural inclination—my what comes natural what comes easily—is for me to hate them, absolutely hate that person. But Matthew chapter five verse forty-four, Jesus says, "You've heard it said, hate your enemies,' but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven." And so there's different moral teaching throughout the year. You can find uh, throughout the world, you can find some of the precursors to this in the Old Testament for sure. And then Jesus makes it crystal clear. Jesus is the first person to say this, to this magnitude, to this level, not just be kind to your enemies. He's the first person to say more than just be kind to your enemies. He says, love your enemies. Now that is the exact opposite of what comes natural to me. He says, love your enemies. Now what comes natural to me is I want to get them back. But Jesus says for us to do the opposite, pray for those who persecute you you do that, why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So that you can be godly. Why does Jesus tell us to be like this? Well, this is how God is, and this is how God has been towards us. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, says, but God, 8 and 10 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Paul says, before any of our hearts were submitted to God, while all of our hearts were in rebellion against him, God loves us so much that he provided the way for our forgiveness. He sacrificed for our forgiveness so that we could be forgiven. God loves us so much, even when we're in rebellion against him, God loves us. And if you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus here today, if you don't know God, believe in God, love God, he loves you, even if you hate him. Even if you think he's doing a terrible job. Even if you don't think he loves you. Even if you don't think he's giving you enough things. God loves you. is the kind of love that God has for us. Even while we're enemies of him. God loves us. And died for us. And tells us to love other people. The same way that he loves them. God loves you. While you're enemies with him. God loves you. But God also loves the people who are enemies with you. God loves the people who you've made yourself an enemy against as well. This is the kind of love that God has for us. And this is the kind of love that God calls for us to have other people. Now, there's one thing I don't want to be. It's a hypocrite. And so I don't want anybody to think that I've somehow achieved what Jesus has commanded in this verse. I haven't. If there's one thing I can certainly say, it's that I have not gotten to a place in my life where I love my enemies. And I confess that sin. I try. I try. I'm looking to repent of that, to submit my heart to the Lord, to grow in that. Well, I can't say that I've achieved love for my enemies, what I can say is that I do pray for my enemies regularly. I have a hard time when people don't like me. That's hard for me. I think about it all the time. When people don't like me. And Jesus' teaching on this reminds me to pray for them and love them. And it's excellent teaching. Because whenever I think of my enemies, my natural response is to hate them. My natural response is to plot revenge. But Jesus tells me to love and pray. So I, okay, whatever, that doesn't make sense, but I'll do it anyway. Because I trust the Lord. And I can say that while I haven't achieved love for my enemies, what I can say is those moments where I pray for them, it is incredibly freeing because God takes my heart and he turns it from that really damaging hatred, uh, damaging for me. He turns my heart from that awful situation and sets me going in at least the right direction. And taking steps in the right direction. And that is incredibly freeing. This is good wisdom from Jesus. As you encounter opposition to your vision. As you encounter enemies who come against you. The best thing to do is to pray for them. And love them. And forgive them. That is the way to be free from them. When I was uh, in seminary I did a pastoral care internship. At a senior care living facility. People who were very elderly. Very elderly. And uh, we did a forgiveness training um, with a mentor of mine. His name is Pastor Gary Mueller. He's just a great guy. And uh, Pastor Gary and I sat down, and he, he told me how to lead this forgiveness training. He gave me the curriculum and, and let me go, and, and he'd sit next to me, and these people would sit around the table, and the first day I did not know what I was getting into at all. And I started off with just, you know, the introductory uh, teaching and lesson and talking about how Jesus tells us to forgive. He tells us to forgive even our enemies. He says, forgive And you shall be forgiven. He tells us, forgive as you are forgiven. And this is spiritually healthy for us, to forgive other people, no matter what they've done to us, no matter who they are, no matter if they've asked for it or not. This is what Jesus commands in its wisdom. Didn't think there'd be a whole lot to say after that. I was amazed as we went around the table, the pushback that I got from these people who had been imprisoned in bitterness and the evil that had been done to them for most of their lives. And we were on the table, and and they said, one by one, they said, forgive them. You don't know what they've done to me. My brother stole my girlfriend when I was 16. She was going to be my wife. I hate him. And we just went around the table one by one, and it was gruesome to see the damage to their soul. 50 60 70 years or more of unforgiveness god is a forgiver this is who he is it's godly it's good satan is a condemner when we choose to condemn rather than forgive when we choose to hold grudges when we choose to hold bitterness it damages our soul because it's ungodliness it's unhealthy for us it's demonic as we choose bitterness, we open up our soul to all kinds of evil and demonic, satanic activity in our lives. As we hold on to that, it's godly to let it go. It's godly to forgive. And so as we're being here, looking at how we can overcome our enemies, the first thing we've got to do is talk about what Jesus told us to do. That's to forgive and to love others. We're going to talk about, I'm really excited, as we talk more about forgiveness, we're going to talk about forgiveness this Easter in a sermon series, we're going to call it Reconciled. We're going to be looking at Genesis as we dive back into Genesis after our sermon series here on Nehemiah. We're going to look at Jacob and Esau, and we're going to talk about how forgiveness and the power of the resurrection can bring things back together. In a sermon series, we'll it, so I'm really looking forward to that. We'll talk more about boundaries, forgiveness, what to do in situations where people have not repented. How can we go on? How can we forgive? It's going to be really good, so make sure you're paying attention for that. That'll be right before Easter. Now we're going to dive more into Nehemiah chapter 4 as you turn with me there. Forgiveness is a way to be free from what our enemies want to do to us. There's nothing that Satan would like more than for us to hold on to bitterness, to hate our enemies. If we hate our enemies, our enemies have done what they've set out to do. If we hate our enemies, Satan has done what he has set out to do. He wants to separate us from God. He wants to separate us from each other. And our enemies can't ultimately hurt us if we don't let their evil define us. When we forgive, we're not letting their evil define us. We're not letting their evil control us. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 54. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. When your enemy looks to come against you, if you follow the wisdom of God, ultimately there's no evil that they can do against you which will be effective. It doesn't mean that they won't hurt you. In a few months we're gonna after Genesis, we're going to go through Jeremiah. We're going to look at a sermon series called, I will take care of you. God tells Jeremiah, I will take care of you. And then right afterwards, he gets attacked, thrown in jail, all sorts of things. But ultimately, God is a God who is powerful above all those things. And ultimately, none of that will affect us. He'll redeem all of it. He'll fix all of it. Even if our enemies kill us like they did to Jesus' followers, he'll raise us from the dead. There's nothing that your enemies can do to you. When you follow Jesus Christ, that will ultimately hurt you. And forgiveness is the key to that. Our enemies can't hurt us. If their evil doesn't define us. Let's keep going with uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. Now in Sanballat, that's Nehemiah's enemy. He heard that we were building the wall. He was angry and greatly enraged. and He jeered at the Jews. That's the people who are on Nehemiah's team helping him build that wall. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so you got these guys demoralizing Nehemiah and his team. I don't know exactly what it looked like. Maybe it was just they had a megaphone, they're hitting it head-on. Maybe they're working the back channels, gossiping, working in their circles like people do. And they're demoralizing the people. They they question Nehemiah and his team. They question his character. What are these people, are they going to sacrifice? These people are too selfish to sacrifice. They criticize their character. They criticize their commitment. Are they going to restore it in a day? Now, these people had never done anything like this before. The Jewish people had been slaves. They'd been broken down. They were the children of failures. They'd never seen success themselves They've never accomplished anything, especially as a people before. And they question their character. Are they going to sacrifice? Are they going to be able to do it? They will give up in like, what, a day? That's probably all they got. He questions their character, their commitment, their ability. If a fox, these people don't know how to build anything. If a fox goes up on it, it's going to break apart. They're weak. God is with Nehemiah, as we read in chapter 2, verse 18. There's plenty of opposition from people. As we follow God's vision, there's always going to be opposition from people. And what does Nehemiah do? It's hard to move forward. Here's what I do when people come against me. I go, oh man, why are they doing that? Why, do they, why would they say that? Why would they be like that? What, what am I going to do? How am I going to move forward? If they're gonna? <laughs> That's what I do. I'm probably not the best example of how to do this. This is why this sermon is really good for me as Dave and I were talking about what we should preach on and how we should do these things and what topics we're going to do. This had to be one of them. It's a central theme of the book. And we're looking at each other and I was like, him what he wanted to do and he didn't pick this. And I was like, all right, well, I can't say that this is something that I've really got down. So either this is going to be a great sermon or a disaster. We'll see which one. This was a great sermon for me because this kind of stuff does not come naturally for me. What does Nehemiah do? Does he despair... Does he spend forever worrying, fretting, anxious? No, he, he just stops. He prays. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Because that's what the Jerusalem people are. That's what the Jews, he, he's, Nehemiah says, "Do let him experience what we've experienced. Bring that man down. Take him out. Make him suffer. Let him know what we're going through. That'll stop him. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Nehemiah doesn't stop and take matters into his own hands. This is a great teaching of Christianity. We can forgive. We don't have to take matters into our own hands because we're not the judge. We trust in the Lord. When enemies come against us, we love and forgive them as God loves and forgives them. And then we trust the God who is also Not just loving, but just. He's both. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about God's judgment and God's justice as we go back into Genesis and read about Sodom and Gomorrah. None of us will get away with anything. That is both God's love and his justice. He loves us too much to let people hurt us. He loves other people too much to let us hurt them. When my kids hurt each other and I got to give them a big, you know, discipline, I sit them down and say, now, now, Jojo, I love you too much to let anybody hit you and I love your brother too much to let you hit them that's why you're getting punished if they hit you I do the same thing we don't have to take matters in our own hands we trust the god of judgment and justice and love i tell my kids when they hit you get hit don't hit back you leave it to me to fix the situation i'm the one who's the judge here i'll make it right first peter 3 tells of this it's do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Nehemiah doesn't take matters into his own hands. He doesn't return evil for evil. What Neah does is he stops and he prays. God, give me victory and bring them down. There is nothing un-Christlike about praying that God would defeat your enemies and remove them from standing in his way. And your way, if you are following him. There is nothing wrong with that. As you're praying for your enemies, God changed their heart. God freed them from whatever evil has got them standing in opposition to your vision. But God, it's most important that we follow you, so remove them from our way. Nehemiah stops. He pauses for only a moment. He doesn't fret. He doesn't worry. He sit around. doesn't sit around. Sometimes it feels like the more you sit around, you're anxious and worry. the more you think about your enemy, the more you talk about their enemy, your enemy, the more your enemy grows. It's like the more Satan's accomplishing his will. Don't sit around talking about it all day. Don't sit around thinking about it. Pause only long enough to pray. And then there's my favorite verse of the whole thing so far. Nehemiah chapter 4, 6. So we built the wall. He pauses just long enough to pray and connect with the God whose help he needs. And then he keeps going forward. As we encounter opposition in our life, The first things we need to do, we need to pray, we need to forgive, and we need to act. Don't let your enemies stop you for more than the moment it takes to pray. Satan's looking to discourage Nehemiah. Satan's looking to discourage you. And as you follow God in your life, as you get excited about God's vision, as you go from being a critic to being a dreamer to being a visionary, and you set out on that journey, Satan, the most important for person for him to discourage in your life, it's not going to be your friends. It's not even going to be inspiring your enemies. It's not going to be other people in your life. The most important that person that Satan wants to get to is you. If Satan wants to stop God's vision, then the most important person for him to discourage is you. And so as Nehemiah's going through this, an enemy comes against him, he doesn't stop. He pauses, he prays, and he goes on. If he gets discouraged, Satan wins. If you get discouraged in your life, Satan wins. We can't give up and just go to discouragement and negativity. David, when he sees Goliath step forward, he doesn't fret, worry. He prays, and why aren't we stepping forward to defeat this guy? There's no discouragement there. There's no negativity. You pray, then you act. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 7. Well, I was just finishing 6. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when San- Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that the people who don't want God's vision to take place, the people don't want that vision to take place, when they see you following God's vision, they're going to get very angry because it means that they won't get their vision. If Jerusalem builds up, we won't be able to plunder them, to take them captive, to take what we want from them. It's threatening to us if those people follow God's vision. So they get very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall." Our enemies are starting to discourage Nehemiah's team. They heard Nehemiah, they saw his vision, they got excited about it, but then they heard the vision of the enemies. We're too weak, we can't build. And they start to get discouraged. Verse 11 says, and our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. They keep their talking, they keep gossiping, they keep threatening. And so will our enemies. That time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. You've got to come back, Naomi. It's over. This thing's done. We can't do it. There's too many of them. They're threatening us. Nehemiah's team gets discouraged. Do You know, as you set on a vision, you're taking people to where they haven't been before. You're going there yourself. You haven't seen success in that area yet your people in your, around you your company your family your church whatever it is they haven't seen success in that area yet they don't even know what it looks like they don't have the vision god's given you the vision they're used to their failure they're comfortable in it when you cast a vision you start going that way you're going to encounter opposition from enemies that are straightforward you're also going to have a hard time getting other people to follow you you know why they're used to their life it's not that they're your enemies They're on your team. They just need you to keep leading. Because they haven't seen where you're going. You know what people who are used to failure do? They fail. You know what people who haven't seen success before do? They fail. Expect it. If you're leading people to a new place, everyone around you at different points is going to want to turn back and fail when they encounter opposition. It's too hard. Let's go back to what we're used to. And so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I station the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. Nehemiah does not be deterred. He comes up with a plan to follow God's vision even in the teammates' problem, the teammates losing their vision and their passion for it. And in this world, we'll encounter opposition from actual enemies and people on our team. And I've experienced both. When I started here at Cornerstone, it was a rocky period. The founding pastor, Pastor Ron, some of you guys know and remember Pastor Ron. Everyone loved Pastor Ron. The church was going great. God was moving through it. Opposition came about. And Pastor Ron got skin cancer and passed away very quickly. The interim had some rocky moments in it. There was division that was caused in the church by some people who wanted leadership, who wanted their vision, weren't willing to follow the elders' vision, And so when I got hired here, it was incredibly important to cast the vision that God had been giving our church and get people on board, unite this church so that we could move forward. And there was an enemy. There was an opposition. There was a man who was attending here who always wanted leadership and was well-known. There are some spiritual issues here. He should not be in leadership. He always wanted leadership. He had some issues. He comes to the church. says, I want to start my own ministry. I want to use Cornerstone's people. We talked about it, we prayed about it, and we said, no, we don't feel that you are what we're called to support a new ministry or give people to your ministry. Here's the deal, though. We are willing to give you this position of leadership. If you feel called by God in leadership, we're going to be open-handed with that. We were always looking for leaders. Here, take this and lead this well. Of course, that's not what he was interested in. And so I'm up here preaching, and he's out there after the service casting a different vision. I'm up here preaching. He's using whatever ammo he can in the back after the service to try to take people away, start a new thing, follow me. One time I came up and I preached on fasting. And as we we were going through the book of Matthew, and I preached on fasting, and I realized I haven't been fasting. I've been pastor of this church for a year, haven't fasted yet. And so I confessed that sin. This is something we're supposed to be doing. This is a way we're supposed to be praying, engaging in the spiritual battle. I confessed that sin and said, I'm going to fast on Wednesdays, I invited the congregation to join me. We get done with that sermon, we'll go in the back, He's going, hey, do you want to follow a church where the pastor doesn't fast? Come join me in my ministry. Come start a new thing with me, casting a different vision than God's vision. When you follow God's vision, people are going to be upset. They're going to talk against you. They're going to gossip. They're going to try to get their own way, get their own vision, do their own thing. That's one of the reasons why at Cornerstone Church we say if you want to improve this church, follow the vision. If you wanna improve this church, go lead someone to Jesus Christ. That's the way to improve the church. That's the vision of our church. You might want this, you might want that, you might want this, but if you wanna do God's will, go lead someone to Jesus. Go pick up a kid. Bring them to church. There's a kid in your neighborhood who wants to go to church. Go bring a kid, pick up a kid, bring him to Wednesday nights. There's a kid in your neighborhood who wants to go to church. If you wanna improve the church, follow the vision God's given our church In the end, that man did not convince even a single person to join him, not even his own family who attended here left with him. Sometimes you'll encounter opposition from people who just come straight at you. Other times you're going to encounter opposition from your own team, like Nehemiah does here. How about marriage? Who's married here? How much opposition do you you experience with your spouse? I know I do. I know Sarah does. You know why? Because we don't have the vision. They cast the vision. Sarah comes to me and casts the vision. A good idea she's got, for God, for our family to follow God, it should look like this. She's got to tell me seven times before I agree to do it. Right? How many times have you brought a good idea to your spouse? Hey, honey, you know what would be great is if we did this. No, no, that's going to change. It's going to take work. Your spouse isn't your enemy. It's just natural. They don't have the vision. When you experience people coming against you, you've got to keep the vision. Just keep leading. That's what both your enemies need to see and the people on your team need to see. You just keep following the vision. Just keep bringing that up. Honey, I think we should join a small group. Oh, but Tuesday nights, that's our Netflix night. And that's, you know, we got the soccer practice before and that's going to be so hard. uh, That's may not right now. Just keep casting that vision. Just keep pushing that person towards God's vision. It'll happen. Eventually, they'll see that it's a good idea. Sarah's got to tell me seven times before I accept any of your good ideas. I haven't done a study. I'm just guessing. It's just natural. Just keep leading. You might have a great idea at work. I know some of you talking to me about that. i got this great idea. I do this thing and the boss won't listen. Well, I'm telling you, Jeff Larson's got to tell me seven times to do a good idea before I listen. It's just the way people are. We don't have the vision. You've got to keep casting that vision and casting that vision. Eventually, people will see it if it's a good idea. And maybe it's not. But if you keep casting, if it is God's vision, and you keep casting and casting, if they see the need for it, they'll follow it. Your boss will follow it. Why wouldn't they? They want to see the organization improve. They want to see things move forward. If it's a good idea and you keep casting that vision, they'll come around to it. Your teammates just need to see you keep leading. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. next thing Nehemiah does is he stops and remembers the Lord. I was uh, going through a tough time and I'd read that passage and in the gospels where Peter gets out of the boat and he's on the waves and as long as his vision is on the Lord he's fine but as soon as he takes his eyes off he sinks and I was going through this tough time I read that thing and I'll, I'll, I don't even know how many times I read that passage and also I'm going through this situation in my life and I've got my vision off the Lord and on the waves and I read that passage and it's just God speaking to me when you're facing opposition take your eyes off of them and put them on the Lord Goliath looks big Until you look at how big your God is. And if you take your vision off your enemy and remember the Lord, that's the next thing to do to overcome opposition. Remember the Lord. The most important person for Satan to turn negative is you. If you look at your problems, if you look at the waves, if you look at your enemy, eventually you're going to turn negative. If you look at the Lord and his power, he's great and awesome and mighty. Remember the Lord. Then you won't be discouraged. Then Satan won't win. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that, it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan. What was their plan? To stop them by discouraging them, to gossip against them, to threaten them, to do all these things. When they don't fall for it, when they remember the Lord, the enemies have failed. And their plan is frustrated. If you want to frustrate your enemies, remember the Lord. We all returned to the wall, each one, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spirits, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. Be stubborn with following God's plan. Be flexible with a vision. Fine, you're going to do this for us, we're going to keep building we're going to carry a sword while we're doing it. It's not what is ideal, but you've got to make compromises if you're going to get it done. You might want to come to small group. Your spouse, no, that's the night we do the dishes. That's the night we do the laundry. That's the night whatever. Okay, here's the deal. We'll, we'll TiVo, whatever you want to watch, and I'll do the laundry for you. Be stubborn with your plan. Be flexible with your vision. Give a good idea to your boss. He doesn't want to have to deal with all that extra work. Fine, I'll take it on. Dreamers pray for a miracle. Visionaries pray for an opportunity. It's going to require sacrifice. Nehemiah is stubborn with his plan, but he's flexible with his vision. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, their work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. He organizes the people. He comes up with a flexible part of the plan. You know, there's Places where they can get through what we're going to do. We're going to have a man on the tower with a trumpet. When you hear him blow, run to where the trumpet is. Everybody bring your swords. We'll get this thing done. Just keep leading. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Be stubborn with your vision. Flexible with your plan. And I also said to the people at the time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes and each kept his weapon at his right hand. And it doesn't get any easier for Nehemiah. They continue to threaten his life. They call him power-hungry. This is fascinating. The people who's got that sin in their heart, they'll accuse you of that sin. It's something that people do. If I was Nehemiah, I'd certainly be power-hungry. I'm going to come against him. What am I going to accuse him of? I'm going to accuse him of being power-hungry. A lot of things that people will accuse you of will be the exact sins that they're struggling with. It doesn't matter how generous you are, they would be power-hungry in your situation. They're going to call you that. Nehemiah has people continue to come against him. And he calls it out. He tells it like it is. We already read about one of those verses in chapter 2, verse 20. and chapter 6, verse 3, he rejects even talking with his people. Sometimes as Christians, we don't think it's okay for us to stand strong against someone who is our enemy. Look, it's important to win people over. That's what Jesus ultimately wants. But if they are committed to evil, you know, what's more important than you winning them over is that you win. If you're following God's vision and they are not, it's more important that you win than it is to win them over. Jesus calls the people who come against them, him, he calls them a brood of vipers. Jesus loves them, he's going to die for them on the cross, but he tells them like it is. Nehemiah tells them like it is. Chapter 2, verse 20. We're going to rebuild this wall, and you're going to have no part of it. As you go through this situation, try to win your opposition over. Try to win them over with love and kindness. But if they're committed against it, it's more important that you win than it is to be deterred by them. Stop talking with them. Put up a boundary. If you need to do that to follow the Lord, do it. God wants to use you. Don't let your enemies stop you. When you're following God, you will have opposition. It's guaranteed. But when we follow Jesus' words about how to handle our enemies, and we follow Nehemiah and his plan that he laid out as he opposes the people who oppose him, when we follow God, ultimately no weapon formed against us will prosper. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being a God who is more powerful than all evil. I thank you for God for uh, being a God who is willing to use people who step forward and move beyond seeing something wrong, move beyond praying for miracles to fix something wrong, into being visionaries who pray for an opportunity to be used by you. God, I pray that you would bless us and help us to go from step one to step two to step three being people who are praying for opportunities for you to use them. Lord I think of all the things that we're going through in this life things in our family, things in our job things in our communities, things in our schools, things in our churches, things in our neighborhoods. God I pray that you would bless us that the people of Cornerstone Church can be visionaries who aren't deterred by the negative words of Satan and opposition in their lives but who step forward in strength and faith to just see that it's not just another Goliath stepping forward to die Lord, I pray for the people who are looking to follow you and their families. God, we pray that you give them the strength, that they can just keep leading, that they're encountering opposition from children, from parents, from spouse. God, I pray that you bless them to just keep the faith and keep leading. God, if people are struggling in their place of work, God, I pray you just give them that inspiration and not be discouraged, but to keep leading. God, I pray that you'd really center it into people's hearts. That the most important person for Satan to discourage is them. that's it's your will for them to go forward with your strength and your power. So God, we pray that you bless us with that strength and power. As we go forward, as people go out and oppose us, as people talk about us, say things that aren't true, try to undermine what we're doing, God, I pray that you bless us, that we can follow the vision that you've given us in your word. We can pray for them, love them, forgive them, so that we're not in, imprisoned by their evil and it doesn't define us. God, I pray that we'd be people who wouldn't fret or worry, but we'd pause just long enough to pray and then act. Lord, I pray that you bless us, that we can be committed, stubborn people who will not be deterred from your vision. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name. We pray that you bless the offering which we're about to receive as well, that will go to spread your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This time our ushers are gonna come forward with the offering baskets. If you're a guest here, more than your money, what we want to do is to lead you to Jesus Christ. So that you may know him. And as I've mentioned before, the best way to do that right now is to fill out that card with some information in it and put it in the basket as it passes. And you'll find out about more ways to connect with God and others at Cornerstone. After the uh, next song, we're going to meet in the back. Uh, Anyone who'd like to join us with a prayer team, we're going to pray for the people in our lives who need to know Jesus. And so feel free after the next song to join me in the back. And after the basket's passed, please stand and join us in worship.